You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Good morning. I know that this morning is one that is a little bit different. Um, I know that for some of you parents, you know, we normally have child care for the little ones and they're here with you. Uh, just to encourage you, that's okay. It's going to be a good morning. You may hear some more uh, noises from the little ones, and that's okay too. Um, we're grateful that we're able to be together as a family. And right now, more than ever, we need this. I believe it's in times like these that God uses it to strengthen us. Um, there's a few things that anytime a, a tragedy happens, and we've had a few in the past month, that there's a few things that can happen. One, it can shock us into reality. And we know that the gospel thrives in reality. And it does shock us into reality. All the things that we put our hopes in, all the things that we normally do, all the routines, everything gets busted and broken just for a moment. And I know that there is some sorrow that comes with these things, but I also want to encourage you that it's also good. It's also of the Lord. It's also underneath the sovereignty and providence of God. This did not happen on accident. And we can trust in that. And we're going to focus on that this morning. Number two, and probably the more dangerous of the things that can happen, is that we can become distracted. We can be focused on the urgencies that are before us that we feel like are most urgent. And they are. I'm not making light of needing to clean up our yards or get the insurance agents to show up and damages and roofs and those are real things but it could easily distract us from the thing that matters most which is our relationship with God I know for myself and I've heard from many others that before you turn around it's been a couple days and I really haven't sat down and prayed or spent time with God because everything's frantic so we got to be careful and I'm grateful that we're here today so that we can be focused and to worship God. Because that's what we need most in these times of trouble. So before we jump into our main text for the day, I get to reintroduce us, or introduce us, I should say, for the first time, to our memory verse for the month. Last month uh, was Ephesians chapter 4. Hopefully everybody got that one, 11 and 12. This month... We're going to do 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that's four verses. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, but there's no way to separate this passage. And I think it's one of, that's timely. It's one of my favorite passages of the Bible, one I go to often, especially in counseling to help others. And it's going to 
really coincide with what we talk about today as well. And so let's just read it a couple times together uh, as a family. And then if you look at it this way, every week you got one verse. By the end of the month, you'll have all four. So let's read it together. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What a timely verse for us to think about and meditate on this month. And so my encouragement to you is start today. My encouragement as we hide this scripture in our heart, it'll be one that we're able to lean on and draw strength from. But today we're gonna focus on the same letter from Paul, but we're actually gonna focus on chapter one of this letter. And we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four today. And I wanna just think about for a moment and address the elephants in the room. August was a, was heck, a heck of a month <laughs> for all of us here in Louisiana especially, but for our world as well. Because it's easy for us here to be focused in on Hurricane Ida and the effects of it, and we, we should. But I also wanna draw our attention to many other sufferings that we've faced and we've seen and that are impacting us. And then we're gonna draw down into how we approach that and where we find true comfort from this morning. But we've seen, for us, recently Hurricane Ida came through. We've experienced loss of property, loss of power. There's been loss of lives. I think the recent count is up to 62 that I saw recently. Um, the devastation is real. When I came back from Kentucky, I evacuated there went there to, to a funeral, and then that kind of was timely, which we'll talk about in a moment, but I came back to my neighborhood on Friday, and it looked kind of like a war zone, <laughs> honestly. Our neighborhood is older and has a lot of big pine trees, and so you could imagine, and some of you helped clean up my yard while I was gone, which I'm grateful for, saw the effects in real time. And power lines are down, trees are on houses. Some of the houses, as I drove by, looked, I mean, they look pretty much crushed to the foundation. So there's, there's reality there. It's like, man, I definitely, in one moment, everything looks normal, and in, in a day or two later, for some people, it really changed a lot of things, you know? We also saw this past month the effects that are happening in Afghanistan. And I don't want us to forget about that because of our recent struggles. Most importantly, the persecution of those who are there to share the gospel, Christians there, who are running for their lives and hiding in buildings, just for having their faith in Christ, who are there to take the gospel to people who need it desperately and who are facing real persecutions. We need to pray for them. And this brings death and destruction and persecution. It also causes many of us to struggle with our trust in our government and, and the reality of what could happen here. 
What's happening there is not necessarily that far off of what could happen here. We as Christians, as we've been talking about through Luke, the cost of discipleship, will face persecution. It's promised for our faith. For us right now, that's simple things like people that may not like us because we share the gospel with them. <clears throat> Maybe you get a little social media hate, <clears throat> which is very small potatoes to run them for your life. But the comforts that we are able to have in our country right now may not last forever. If history shows us, it probably won't. There could come a day in, in our lifetime where you may lose a business because of your faith. You may get put in jail because of your faith. And we need to be understanding and, and face those realities. And then we have COVID-19, which some have lost family members to. The funeral that I came from was uh, my ex-mentor and boss, pastor, friend, Tim Parsons, who was lead pastor of our sending church, and Casey Srencioni's father, Sam's father-in-law. And it can't, you know, hit him hard, and within three weeks he was normal, and, and now he's passed away and with the Lord. I know in our church we've lost... Bill Kirk, as many of you know. Um, and there's others who have went to the hospital and have we've lost other lives. COVID-19 is no different than any other disease, cancer, or other things that can take our lives. <clears throat> but it is a reality. And it has shocked many of us into the realities of our frailty. But it also has caused a lot of division and arguments and discussions and there's other things that surround it as well. I bring all these things up just to highlight some of the many things that can cause suffering. Suffering that many of us are facing, suffering that could be hitting close to home. This is by no means all the suffering that we would face in our lifetime. There's many in this room who face many other sufferings maybe due to mental illness, maybe due to abuses, maybe due to uh, loss of family members in other ways, abuses, things of that nature. And when we face suffering, it leaves us questioning a few things usually. The question that I receive most as a biblical counselor is the goodness of God. And when we face trials and we face hardships, it's difficult for us not to ask that question, why? Why did this happen? Why did this have to happen this way? Why, if someone passes away and seemingly too soon, although it is the Lord who numbers our days, but for us it seems like they should have more time, it makes us question why. When those who are taking the gospel into a place that needs it desperately, why, God, would you allow persecution and death? Why would you allow your people to be persecuted? Why would this happen? And many of us have those questions today for many reasons. And for many of us, it leaves us perplexed, questioning, trying to understand. And so this morning, it's important for us to turn our eyes to the Heavenly Father. 
he is not too weak to answer that question. So this morning, our goal is to begin to answer that question through this rich letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, his fourth letter, actually. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. I'm going to read it now, and then we're going to talk about some context, and then we're going to work through this. And hopefully, um, we'll get through it before the next service starts. (laughs) He says, starting in verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction." so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The backdrop of 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians is is at the backdrop of suffering. I said Paul, he wrote actually four letters, two of which we have as as inspired scripture, but there were two others written. Um, And the church in Corinth, if you don't know much about them, if you've read the first letter before, They had a lot of things messed up and jacked up, (laughs) from sexual purity problems to being drunk at Lord's suppers to false teachers to false prophets and teachers disparaging Paul's name and trying trying to mitigate the gospel, trying to lessen it, trying to weaken it, trying to preach a new gospel, persecuting, you name it, they had it going on. And Paul grieved, writes the first letter, actually writes a letter before that, and then still so grieved, he writes another one, which we have, rebuking them for those things. In between this letter and the, and the first letter, Paul is still so grieved and still hearing about what the false prophets are talking about, the false teachers are talking about there, and still trying to discredit his apostleship and discredit the gospel which he preached. He wrote us another letter that we can only assume was really strong because in this letter he says, I was, I feel bad about it basically. I was sorry, but I wasn't sorry, but I was kind of sorry, you know. Because I was so grieved, I I wrote this letter and he wrote a very strong, pointed letter rebuking them of sin. And in this letter we see a different attitude where Paul is grateful for their repentance, where he gets the, he sent that letter with Titus and Titus comes back and tells him of, of their repentance, that the majority had repented. And we see in 2 Corinthians 7, we talk about that difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow there. That they had godly sorrow and so they repented because they saw that they were sinning against the Lord. But not all had repented. And Paul in his wisdom knew that those false teachers were still there, still trying to turn the hearts of that congregation. So this letter is primarily written to defend his apostleship, to defend the very gospel that he had preached. And Paul, in his ministry, so we, we talk about this context, but in his ministry at large, Paul had faced all sorts of afflictions. He'd been shipwrecked, beaten, snake-bitten, didn't die, put in prison. Many of the epistles were written from prison. Paul understood suffering. So when we read this passage, when we read these two verses, it's written at the backdrop of suffering. We have to understand that to really understand the essence of what we need to take away ourselves. 
we need to understand that suffering is something that is expected in this life. It's something that we will face. And so Paul writes this with that in mind. And so the first point I want us to think about today, we're going to work through for a few moments, is that our reaction to affliction should be to worship God because of who he is. Our reaction to affliction should be to worship God because of who he is. Paul's very clear about that. There's, in this passage, there's no circumstance even being talked about. But what Paul highlights first is the character of who God is. He starts with a declaration of God's character when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Eulogatos is the Greek word here, which is the root word for the English term eulogy, and it literally means to speak well of. Paul is saying this. This letter is speaking. It's declaring the very nature of God, and it's a worshipful statement. Just that word blessed is one Paul showing where his hope lies, where hope comes from. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, no words are throwaway words in Scripture. Paul chooses these words very carefully. We need to understand, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this area, we also see a few statements in this first verse here, in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's some specific things that he's pointing out, three things specifically that I want us to see. First is the relationship to Jesus. And then his two characteristics that Paul chooses, mercy and comfort. So he starts out, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this would first indicate of which God he's talking about. Remember, this is at the backdrop of suffering and particularly false teachers trying to preach a different gospel. So the Jews there would understand, just like in the Old Testament, where they would say, God, the father of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, to distinguish the God of Israel or Paul is also doing that here, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, indicating which God he's talking about, the one true God, the God of Israel, the God who created all things, our creator, our perfecter, the God, Yahweh. And this statement also tells us that there's an equality with Jesus, that there's a relationship to Jesus and God himself. That's very important for us as we look at that. This statement reminds us of the hope and confidence that we have in the gospel. This statement also backs up the authority and the deity that our Savior Jesus has over sin and death. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, illustrates it very nicely for us, where he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
we could probably finish right there. <laughs> right? The imprint. The very imprint in nature. When Jesus says, you see me, you see the Father. That statement, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, indicates that very relationship between God and Father and the deity of Jesus Christ, who after making purifications for sins, he sits down at the right hand of God. Talk about a mic drop. He did everything that needed to be done to purify us from our sin. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This statement, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, reminds us of the hope that we have in eternity, of an eternal perspective. The reason why we can have hope in times of affliction is not because of our circumstances, but because of the eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That's where our strength lies. Not in the things that are happening in the world around us. Suffering will happen but our strength is rooted in who Jesus is. In this one statement, Paul summarizes the gospel for us because there's importance in the understanding of the meaning of the names. Jesus, this, this is the Greek equivalent here for Yeshua, which means God saves. Christ means the appointed one. Lord is how we are saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we make Christ Lord, right? And he is the God who saves through the appointed one, Jesus Christ. Paul is not just talking about titles. He's relishing in and reminding us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ in that one statement. And when we face affliction ourselves, <clears throat> that's where we have to go. You will face suffering and affliction. But you have to ask yourself, where does your hope lie? When you're facing the type of affliction that Paul faced over and over again, that you will face in different ways, is your reaction to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Is he your Lord? You're only going to say that statement if it's true. And as we talked about as we opened this, this sermon, this reveals, it shocks us into reality and it reveals our hearts. It reveals where our hope does lie. And so you have to ask yourself that question. The second thing we see in that first verse is the two attributes that Paul chooses to highlight about God. Father of mercies. Father of all mercies. There's no way to understand the comfort of God without the truth of the gospel. And there's no way to understand the comfort of God without understanding he's the God of all mercies. Micah 7, 18 through 19 says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all, all our sins into the depths of the sea. Listen to those promises of God's mercy. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
In order for us to understand the sweetness of God's mercy, we have to first acknowledge our need for it. Against the backdrop of sin, we're able to run to the mercy of God because we know we need most of all is our forgiveness of sin. We need our sins forgiven. The reality of suffering should highlight our weaknesses. The reality of our sin highlights our need for a Savior, which we've just talked about in the first point. And then it should show us how merciful our God is. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. As we talked about earlier, when suffering and affliction happens, many of us ask the question, why do good why do bad things happen to good people? The Bible continually answers that question for us. It's not a question that we should be confused by as Christians if we understand the scriptures. The Bible reminds us that there are no good people. That doesn't mean we don't have compassion for the afflicted, but it's important for us to understand there are no good people. Everything happens because of sin, whether it be sin of suffering, which is maybe suffering at the hands and the sinful hands of another, abuses, things of that nature, or the fact that we live in a fallen, sinful world where even creation is broken, i.e. a hurricane, or our own personal sin that we have chosen. Either way, there are no good people. And sin that we choose and suffering are often intermingled. Our response to the suffering that we face often is sin ourselves. We have to acknowledge our need for mercy. And when we have compassion for those who are suffering, our first response should be the fact that they also need God's mercy. More than they need their physical needs met. We have to stay rooted in the gospel. But when we acknowledge our depravity, we're going to run to the one who can give us the mercy that we need. It's important that we look to the gospel and that we relish in the mercy of God. So we see he highlights mercy and then he highlights comfort. When we think of comfort... When we think of that word comfort, we often think of ease or soft things. My comfortable bed, my air conditioning, which many of us have really learned to appreciate, myself included. A full belly, comfort foods, right? A relaxing movie night on the couch a lawn chair on a porch, a hammock on a beach. Those are where our minds go when we think comfort. That's not what this is talking about. Comfort that Scripture is showing is not a selfish type of comfort. I'm not saying those things are necessarily bad, so before you feel convicted that you're not allowed to sit in a hammock, I'm not saying that. <laughs> 
But this is not the type of comfort that leads to feeling comfortable. It's not what he's talking about. There's no promise in Scripture that those who follow Christ will find themselves in ease and prosperity, regardless of the false teachings of the prosperity gospel that we hear today. It's quite the opposite. Scripture promises that those who follow Christ will, meet with per- will be met with persecution and hardship for the name of Christ. Paul's affliction that he's speaking about in this letter was due to the fruitfulness of his ministry and the opposition of Satan and, and his army and those who would oppose the gospel. It wasn't because he was doing anything wrong. It was because he was doing everything right that he met persecution. That's a promise that we face. And this word here for comfort, the Greek meaning for it is actually a calling to one's aid or support. Periclesius. And we want to encourage us. This talks about an encouragement a support. It has more of an air of courage that we have to have in the face of trials, that the Lord will encourage us, that he will be with us, that he will strengthen us. That's what this type of comfort means. Not that you would feel comfortable, but you would be strengthened in your trial, that he would be with you in it. Psalm 23, one of our favorite psalms, right? Everybody knows this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This doesn't say I'll take you out of the valley. It's saying he walks with us through it. His rod and his staff comforts us in the midst of the valley of darkness. If you're looking to get out of your situation, you're going to miss the comfort of God because God's the one who allowed the situation to happen in the first place. Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says, for they shall be comforted. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16-17, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Comfort, encourage, strengthen, be with us in the midst of our trial. That's the hope that we have. And if you're seeking a a different hope, if you're looking for the comfort of ease, you're not going to find it in the gospel. And that's not what God promises you're going to be sorely disappointed. So our first point is our reaction to affliction should be to worship God because of who he is. Our second point today, if I can find it, is our reaction to affliction should be to trust God's promises. Our reaction to affliction should be to trust God's promises. Affliction is from the Greek word thlipsis, which literally means pressure. God comforts us in all our afflictions due to this life. Pressure, stress, persecution. And that comes in many forms, many different forms. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction? 
Paul experienced God's comfort in a way that strengthened him through many trials throughout his ministry, as we've already discussed. I love how James 1 puts it, James 1, 2 through 5. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There it is, that all affliction, different stressors, many different kinds, from little to big. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's the reason for the trials, to test your faith, to produce a steadfast faith that trusts in and hopes in the promises of God. And let that steadfast fastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without, to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Trials produce steadfastness in our faith and they should cause us to react by seeking the Lord and seeking his wisdom. If you react in any different way, it's because of your sin and it's revealing your sin. And that's the point. When, when you are met with the trials of life, the fire that's put against us, it burns away all of the, the junk. It reveals where your heart truly is. Suffering is a tool that strengthens our faith. If you're wondering why would God allow this to happen, it's because he cares more about your faith, your love for him, and your holiness than he cares about your comforts. And that's a good thing. It's tough, that it, it's tough to think of it as good. But that's how we have to renew our mind in the truth of the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11, which we just talked about we're going to memorize. I want to reread it and talk about it for just a moment. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed, always carrying the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This image of a clay pot, to give you a little history lesson, background, these clay pots were used all the time for ordinary uses. They were very breakable, brittable, cheap. Everyone had them. Most of the time, these clay pots were used for ordinary use, sometimes even used to put garbage in or waste. But sometimes, these clay pots were used to store treasure. See, the pot's worth was defined by what was inside of it. The pot itself had no real worth. Paul uses that language on purpose. When we meet iniquities, when we meet trials, it should remind us of our weakness our lack of strength, our inability to control. But then the clay pot also reminds us that for us who are in Christ, we have this treasure within that strengthens the pot, that makes the pot valuable because God is worthy, not because of us. It's the same thing that we see in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, probably in a clay pot, buried Deep down, because they would often do that, they would bury some of their wealth in the ground, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Because the treasure that was in this pot that he found in the ground was so valuable, more valuable than everything that he had in his entire life. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's this treasure 
that Paul's talking about. This treasure that Paul is speaking of is the glorious gospel message of Jesus Christ that allows our sins to be forgiven and the Holy Spirit to indwell our clay pots, our earthly, weak bodies. There's nothing valuable about us apart from Christ. You have nothing to boast in. This should bring about humility. If you're a Christian and humility isn't something that marks you, there's something wrong. But humility brings freedom. And the rejoicing in the goodness and the mercies and the greatness of the gospel. It reminds us of this treasure that's within. There's strength in the power of the treasure that we hold inside. God strengthened us because of who he is. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't boast in yourself. Be like Paul, who continually reminds us, if I boast in anything, I boast in the Lord. We see that in both of his letters to Corinthians. He also says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That is who we are. That is what we should do. So these afflictions that we are facing are a gift. For many of us, it's a gift that is destroying the gods that we have hold, held so dear and we put our hopes in. Many of you this week, this past month, have faced that. The things that you put your trust in. It's not lost on me that here in Mandeville, possessions are things that many of us put our hopes in. Nothing like a tree going through your house to destroy those. But it's a gift from God destroying those idols forcing us to decide what we truly hope in. It's a gift. It's an opportunity to show the surpassing worth of the treasure within. And I hope that God is doing that in your heart. Well, we're almost done. Our last point is our reaction to God's comfort is to minister to others with the comfort of the gospel. Our reaction to these truths about who God is is to minister to others with the comfort of the gospel. John MacArthur says it this way, believers receive comfort as a trust or stewardship to be passed on to others. This purpose of comfort is to equip the comforted to be comforters. There's a stewardship. This is not just about you. And if I can say it more clearly, it's never about you. It's never about me. The comfort that we receive from Christ is there so that we may be those who comfort others in Christ. That's what it's for. There are many who are hurting and struggling right now. They've lost a lot. There's many who are being persecuted for their faith. And there are many, more importantly, that are without the hope of the gospel. We need to serve others with the gospel. There's opportunities to serve your neighbors right now. But if you serve them in their physical needs, 
and never use that as an opportunity to get into a gospel conversation, what a tragedy. What good does it man to do a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, Jesus says in Luke 9. To just help people with their physical needs or just to have your physical needs met is just to live a more comfortable trajectory to hell. That's not good. But if it means that we can't get our physical needs met, but that's the very thing that points us to the gospel, to rely on Christ, that's awesome. Because this life will end. The things that this tragedy should bring to your mind, especially the things we talked about that lead to death, is that that's an inevitability of everyone. Just because you think something ends too soon or tragically doesn't mean God's surprised by it. And by the way, his scripture has warned us over and over again that sin leads to death. You will die. Your days are numbered. What do you live for? What do you hope in? How do you expect to get off this planet alive? But as the false prophet Joel Osteen would say, you can live your best life now. And if you don't have the hope in the gospel, this will be your best life. Because the other one will be one of continual death and hell. We need the gospel. So three things that we can do that I want you to focus on as we leave here. How do we serve others? How do we be those ambassadors in Christ that Paul encourages us to be in 2 Corinthians 5.20? Well, there's three ways that I hope this helps as you think about this week. Number one, pray. Pray for the people around you. I know we hear that one, and for some of you, I already know the reaction because I've had this in my life before, so, I mean, pray. Kind of feels like there's nothing we can do. And that's an egregious misunderstanding of who God is. Prayer is the most important thing that you should do. If you understand the gospel rightly, God is the one who saves. He is the one who moves. He is the one who changes hearts. And if his people aren't solely relying upon him, and prayer is the number one way that we show that, you're missing it. Pray desperately for your neighbors. After this service, we're going to have time of prayer when I'm done. And when service is over, our elders are going to hang out for you to be able to come to and talk and pray. This week, we're going to be around. I encourage you to come to church and gather up and pray. Go to your neighbor's house. Pray. Sit in your house. Pray. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Paul says this in Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard... We have, now, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We have to pray. That should be your first thing that you do and the most that you do. Number two, serve them. The people in your life who are struggling, who need comfort, serve them. Let your actions show your faith. Don't just pray. Prayer is most important. But then bear their burdens with them. Galatians 6.2, bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And in serving them and bearing those burdens, be honest, be vulnerable about the 
sufferings that you've faced and how God's comforted you. Don't be a superficial Christian that just is there patting them on the back as, as, as if you've never needed Christ. Bear the burdens with them and share in their burdens as you share how God has strengthened you in yours. And rejoice in the gospel. And in those real conversations is where God opens the door for a gospel conversation. Every time. When people are facing the reality of their weakness, God moves in their heart to see that they need something more than themselves. And as you share in your weakness with them and show the strength of the gospel, man, God uses that to show the power of the gospel in your life. I'll give you one example of this. For Marie and I, we, um, we've had two miscarriages. We had our son Hudson, and then for a year after that, we had two miscarriages before we were able to have our daughter, Juliana. And, and they were kind of far, in, not super far in, but far enough where we had hope, right? You have hope of a new life. You know that God has conceived it. You're excited about it. And we find ourselves questioning God's goodness as well in those moments. But as we leaned in on him, knowing that there was nowhere else to us, for us to go for hope, and God strengthened us and comforted us in our time of affliction, Marie and I have also been able to minister to other couples who've faced that same thing who need someone to talk to when they're going through it and no one seems to understand. And I'm grateful. And God brings about a healing and a comfort in us as we're able to see God heal and comfort others through the gospel. So be honest, be vulnerable. And let the point of what you talk about be the gospel and the strength that you found in Christ. Last but not least... Share the gospel with them. I know it goes without saying, but does it? There's too many times when we serve others and we never get to that place. That's not even on our minds. Afraid to rock the boat. <clears throat> but the gospel thrives in reality. The, co- the comfort people need is a spiritual, of a spiritual nature, not a physical one primarily. Serving them for a physical need should open a conversation for their spiritual need and be ready to explain the full gospel. We share it every week here at the Field Church. We have resources, if you're unsure, of the scriptures to look at and the progression of it. So if you don't really know or aren't strengthened in that or afraid of how to do it, ask us. We will gladly train you up in it so you'll be ready. There's no excuse for those who are in Christ, not to be able to share about Christ. And so if you feel unequipped, then get equipped. 1 Timothy 1, 7-9 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for the people around you in your world. Serve them. Bear their burdens. Share the gospel. 
be an ambassador for Christ. And I just want you to remember our memory verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that these words, the scripture, hits us in the way that we need it, opens our eyes to the truth of who you are, comforts us, strengthens us in the truth of your character and the glorious gospel of grace that we've received in Christ. For those in this room who maybe haven't received that, Lord, I pray that this morning you would draw them to yourself and that they would put their faith, make you Lord, and receive the mercy that comes from the gospel. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, allow us to be strengthened through our sufferings. Allow the things that we place our hope in, the gods of our idols, to, to be repented of and to be burnt up, that we would put our hope in you and you alone and boast in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.